Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, thank you to our worship team who did a fantastic job. That first song today was a new one. I can't wait till we can sing uh, that together. Hey, if you're at home and you have your digital device or you're watching on the online platform, you can do it there. Or if you have your Bible, I encourage you to do that and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians in the New Testament is about two-thirds of the way through, right after Romans, right before 2 Corinthians. You can find it there, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I started a sermon series a little while back uh, called uh, A Marriage Minute. Your marriage is on the clock. And so we've been putting marriages on the clock. And I know some of you are thinking, well, during all this time, you're still talking about marriage. Yeah, like I said, number one, you've got coronavirus coverage covered. Like that's on television all the time. Uh, But number two, you isolated and quarantined with your husband or wife. This may be when you need marriage advice more than any other time in your life. So we're going to do that here still today. And today I want to preach on this subject, the power of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll we'll read that in just a moment. You know, somebody said, and I, I don't agree with this at all, but somebody said marriage is a three-ring circus. It is a it is an engagement ring, it is a wedding ring, and it is suffering. Hopefully that's not true in your married life, because that's not why you got married. Why did you get married? We asked, Pew Research asked that question not long ago. Why did we get married? 23% said they were married for legal rights and benefits, whatever that means. And then 28% said for financial flexibility. I love it that a quarter of Americans just admitted you had more money than I did. And so that's why we got married. And then then 30% said it was a relationship recognized in a religious ceremony. I don't really know what that means. Like I'm wondering is like, you know, mama and daddy picked them out a long time ago, but that, that was 30% of Americans. And then 49% Got married because they want to have children, and of course, then you had them and regretted. Anyway, no, and then, then seventy-six uh, percent uh, did it for companionship. You know, like I, I want someone to spend the rest of my life with, and then eighty-one percent did it because they wanted to make a lifelong commitment. And so we finally get on the last one. And why do we get married in America? Eighty-eight percent of Americans said they were married primarily. The main reason was for love. Love. I mean, the truth is, love is the reason so many people, and can we just say most people get married. We meet someone, we, we fall in love, we fell in love, we marry them, and then somewhere along the line, something oftentimes tragic happens. I mean, there's no doubt that, hey, we love love. What do you mean we love love? Well, science tells us that that feeling of euphoria, euphoria you get when you fall in love is the same feeling drug users experience. According to the journal Medicine, both actions trigger the release of happy hormones like dopamine, oxytocin, and adrenaline that all give you a natural high. So being in love is like being on drugs, according to science. 
We love love. So if we love love, why do we have such a hard time with it in marriage as the marriage ages? Why is it if we love love and we got married because of love and we like being in love, why is it that if we've been married for a while and we get, we get older and we age in our marriage, I don't mean uh, your personal age, but I mean your marriage ages, it seems like oftentimes there are, there are people and it, it can happen early on, it can happen two or three years into the marriage that the marriage slowly starts to drift apart. I'll tell you one reason that happens. Yes, we love love, and yes, we got married because of love, but one reason that happens is that we confuse infatuation with love. We, we, we kind of think that infatuation and love are the same things. As a matter of fact, um, you, you can describe them this way, and I know at home you, you can't read this, but just uh, follow along with me, because on one, on one side, the left, we talk about infatuation. The other side, we talk about love. For example, the symptoms of infatuation are urgency, intensity, sexual desire, anxiety, high-risk choices, reckless abandonment of what was once valued. What are the symptoms of love? The symptoms of love are faithfulness, loyalty, confidence, willingness to make sacrifices for another, working at settling differences, able to compromise so that either both win or at least give the other person's opinion a chance. Infatuation, love. Person to person, how do we react when you're infatuated it's reckless commitment to satisfy your all-consuming lust. But when it's love, it's commitment to another person. Genuine intentions. Think about other person's feelings before acting. What does infatuation feel like? It's an all-consuming euphoria. It has that addictive quality that some people say make you stupid. They call it, instead of stupidity, some people call it cupidity. You just do dumb things sometimes when you're infatuated. But love feels like a deep affection, commitment, confidence. Partners communicate, negotiate appropriate expectation. It requires a lot of selflessness and polite assertiveness. You are loving your best friend. How long does it last? Infatuation takes off fast and furious like a spark in dry grass, burns out quickly and can leave feelings of emptiness. Infatuation is about now. Love deepens with the passage of time. Love is a gradual process that grows deeper and deeper over time. I want to tell you this morning that infatuation is great as a starter kit, but it's not the pro model. Infatuation is great. As a matter of fact, we all probably had some infatuation going on when we first met. Hopefully you still have some now with your husband or with your wife. And infatuation is a great starter kit. It's how most of us got started in our relationship was we became infatuated with someone. And it's a great starter kit, but it's not the pro model. The pro model is love. Infatuation will not get you through your married life. Love will. And Paul told us in the Bible what that love ought to look like. So let me read 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you watching that you've been in church for a long time, you're familiar with uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, we read it a lot at weddings and uh, we, it's talked about in really those contexts. And so I want us to read it. We're just going to read the whole chapter. It's very short. Read the whole chapter and you follow along on the screen with me if you don't have your Bible or even on your own screen there. Verse, verse 1. Paul said, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Hey, I want to encourage you right now that you may have somebody in your life that you think maybe needs to hear the next 20 minutes of this sermon. I'd encourage you to engage them even right now into the sermon. Let's talk about the power of love. Paul said this has been called the greatest. Uh, some have said this, this chapter by Paul has been called the greatest, strongest, deepest thing that Paul ever wrote. Paul in chapter 13 is poetic in style and it carries all the marks of a lyrical composition. As a matter of fact, most commentators say 1 Corinthians 13 is a hymn of love. It is a love song that Paul intended to be sung. And it's, it's, it's noticeable when you get to this that he's, he's hardly writing as an apostle. Like he's not speaking like an apostle. He is speaking like a poet or like a musician when he gets here. 1 Corinthians 13 has found its way into the church's liturgy, into sermons and hymns and every Christian's heart as the most profound description of the kind of love expressed from Jesus Christ toward us, from God to us. But it's also the greatest chapter on how we are to mimic that love. John Stott said, what are we made for? And he answered, as fish are made for water, humans are made for love. And some have said, and it's true, that if we aren't loving, it doesn't matter what else we as Christians do in the world. And so it's important to have your theology right for sure. But it's just as important to show that we love one another. When you take that passage that Paul talks about the preeminence of love and you apply it to marriage, you find a wealth of guidance on the power of love. So let me, make just, let me just observe the text today. Let me just show you what Paul was trying to say. Let me, let me make four points and I'll do them quickly. Number one is this, there is no substitute for love. There is no substitute for for love. Look what he said in verse number three. And if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, Paul is in a passage on spiritual gifts and he's talking about the abuse and the misunderstanding of them really with the Corinthian church. They were abusing and had a great misunderstanding with them. And Paul said in chapter 12, I'm going to show you something better. Now, it had been hard for them to believe that Paul could show them something better than the spiritual gifts because, to put it mildly, the Corinthian church, were they were spiritual gifts crazy. 
It's all they could talk about. It's all they could think about was spiritual gifts. And and they competed over who had the best spiritual gift. And they talked about what the best spiritual gifts were. And they talked about who ought to be in charge with what gift. It was just really bedlam with spiritual gifts. And Paul came along and he said, okay, let me me talk about that. Now let me talk about this. Let me tell you something better than spiritual gifts. Let me tell you who God looks on more favorably than those who have these awesome spiritual gifts. And so here's what he said. It would have rocked their world at the time. He said, even if you could speak with angels, if you had dialogue with angels, even if you had the gift of prophecy, which is what we would call preaching in our day, was declaring the truth of the word of God. So even if you had the tongues of language of angels and you could speak to angels at will, even if you were the greatest preacher and you understood everything about the Bible, because we, we preachers, we don't understand everything about the Bible. Well, what if you could? Paul said, what if you had faith that could move mountains? Now, that's a, that's a phrase we hear sometimes in Christian world, but think about that. Paul was literally saying, what if you could go out and say, mountain, you are in my way, move, and the mountain moved. He said, well, what if you gave away all your possessions? You gave away everything you had to the church. And even what if you became a martyr for the cause of Christ and gave your life? Here's what Paul basically says. Even if you were a Christian superhero, that's what he describes in in chapter 13, a Christian superhero. If you were the Captain America of Christianity, if you were the Iron Man of Christianity, if you were the Superman of Christianity, if you were the Christian superhero, you could do it all. If you don't have love, none of the rest of it matters. If you could do all of that stuff, and you were amazing. But if you don't have love, none of the rest of it matters. What does that mean for your marriage? Can I tell you this, that in your home, that there is no substitute for love in your marriage. You say, preacher, I'm really good at the chores around the house, and I do so much stuff around the house, and I take care of the house. I get all that, and that's good, and that may be a part of love. But if you're doing that instead of love... It doesn't matter. But preacher, I have a great job and I provide a great income for my family and my wife, I take care of her, my husband, I take care of him financially or my wife, I, take, I, I get all that. That's awesome, that's good. But if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. But preacher, we bought, a, we, we, we bought a really nice house and we have a, such a big house and such a nice house. That so we all, we all have nice cars, that's awesome, that's awesome. But if you don't have love, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter activities that you do. It doesn't matter the possessions you have if you don't have love. Here's what Paul was trying to say. If you do all of that stuff and don't provide love in your marriage, you have left out the most important thing. Money, job, income, houses, cars, possessions, activities, they come and they go. As a matter of fact, even during this, this time we're in right now, Many of you, you don't have a job that you're going to every day. Many of you, if you were depending on your job or your income or your activities to make your marriage great, you've discovered all that can be taken away. But here's what can't be taken away. Your love for your husband and your wife cannot be taken away. And if you do all of that stuff and don't provide love in your marriage, you've left out the most important thing. Hey, for guys like me, uh, it's, a, it's a rough time of year, not just because 
of uh, all that's going on in the world, that's bad, but there are no sports going on right now. I was gearing all up for baseball, following the Atlanta Braves in spring training, wondering who was going to win third base and seeing who were going to It's all gone, man. There's nothing. ES, I don't even know why you turn on ESPN or, or any of that stuff. There's just nothing going on at all. But I did want to give you a fort, uh, sports fix this morning. You know, there's this phenomenon that happens in football, it happens in college, and it happens in the pros as well from time to time. It, there's this phenomenon that happens that there is a play in football, and the college player, and I've got a whole list of them up here, a college player, a football player, they do absolutely everything right on a play. Typically, these plays that you're seeing on the screen, they didn't do everything right. They did everything exceptional, and it may be in a defensive guy who made a fantastic play. It may have been an offensive guy who did something amazing. It may have been a special teams player who did something fantastic. And I mean, you can put that play on the screen and you can talk about how good it was and how amazing it was and how, many, how much awesomeness there was. But every year it happens, usually normally multiple times, over and over again it happens. They did everything exactly right except for one thing. They dropped the ball before they got it across the goal line. They dropped the ball before they get, sometimes they celebrated too early. Sometimes they just dropped it thinking they were across the goal line. Other times they slowed down and somebody took it away from them, but they did everything exactly right, except they didn't get the ball across the goal line. And can I tell you this? There is no substitute in football for getting the ball into the end zone. You can get it to the one and don't, you don't score points. You can get it to the half a yard line and you don't score points. You have to get the ball across the goal line. There's no substitute for that. I'm going to tell you, in your marriage, it's a little bit like that way. You can do everything right. You can even do it exceptional. But if you don't have love, you're dropping the ball before the goal line. Some of you here listening and you have substituted stuff in the place of love in your marriage. Technically, technically, you may be doing the right things, but the fire is gone out. The love is gone. And here is what I want to tell you today. All that other stuff is great. All that other stuff is fine. But put all of that energy into loving your spouse. And you'll see radical things happen because there is no substitute for love. So you say, well, okay, there's no substitute for love. Well, how do I love? Paul answered that question. Number two, I want to talk about what love does. Paul lays out in, the, in these verses exactly what love does and does not do. It is a picture of what love should look like. So I'm going to go through these very, very quickly, but I want you to see it. We'll jump around a little bit, so hang with me. Number one, he said love is patient. It means the opposite of short-tempered. It denotes patience with people rather than patience with circumstances. It means that you, you're chill in your relationship. You have the ability to not fly off at the handle at your spouse. Number two, he says love is kind. The Greek word here, is kind, only occurs in the New Testament. Kindness takes the initiative in responding generously to others' needs, to making sure that others' needs are met over your needs during being met. He said, love, verse number seven, bears all things. The word in the Greek means love always protects, protects. The, the word means to cover or to hide by covering. 
Love protects the spouse, your spouse, from embarrassment, gossip, or any such harm. Verse number seven, love believes all things, meaning love always trusts. Love never loses faith and that is willing to think the best of others. Love always gives the benefit of a doubt because love always trusts. Verse number seven, loves hopes all things. I love this statement, spouses who love look forward, not backwards. They know that failure is not the end and they, they put tr- their trust in the God who promises he can make all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Spouses who love look forward, not backwards, and they believe that failure is not the end. And finally, verse number seven, love endures all things. That is, they hold on no matter what difficulties they face. Pain and hardship do not stop love. They hang on when the going gets tough. They strive to make their marriages better despite disappointment. They continue to trust God even through setbacks. That is a picture of what love does. That's how love operates. And people who love people do those things. Psychologist John Gottman has studied married for four decades and he says he can safely place every married couple into one or two categories. Hold on. I want you to tell me where your marriage is, all right? Hold on. He says everybody can go into one or two categories. Here it is. Masters or disasters. I'll let you figure out which which one is the good one, right? The masters or disasters. Here's what he says about disasters. Obviously, uh, disasters is the bad one. He said, here's what he found out about disasters, that they have found that the number one factor that tears couples apart who are disasters is the word contempt. People who focus on criticizing their partners, get this, in the study, people who focus on criticizing their partners miss a whopping 50% of the positive things their partners are doing because they only see the negativity. As a matter of fact, he said this, when you're a disaster and you have contempt in your relationship, not only are you missing the positive, you see negativity when it's not there. People who give their partner the cold shoulder, deliberately ignoring the partner, responding minimally, damage the relationship because you make your partner feel worthless or invisible. And people who treat their partners with contempt and criticize not only kill the love in the relationship, but they also kill the partner's ability, get this, to fight off viruses and cancers. And with a virus roaming around America, you might want to be careful right now. Being mean or showing contempt is the death knell of relationships, both, both literally and figuratively. Disasters show contempt, but get this, I love this. Masters, the number one indicator is kindness. Kindness glues couples together. Matter of fact, research has shown that kindness is the most important predictor of satisfaction and stability in a marriage. Kindness makes the other partner feel cared for. And there's a great deal of evidence showing that the more, I love this, the more someone receives or witnesses kindness, the more they will be kind themselves, which lead to upward spirals of love and generosity in a relationship. Let Let me break that down for you just a second. Here's what he said. You say, well, preacher, I don't feel like being kind to my spouse because they're not kind to me. I get it. Hang with me. Research says if they see you being kind, 
it makes them want to respond with more kindness themselves. Maybe not a whole lot, but a little bit more. And when you see them being a little bit kinder, it makes you want to be kinder. And when they see you being more kinder, then they'll be more kinder. And then you'll be more kinder. And then they'll be more kinder. Upward spirals of love, generosity, and kindness. It just takes one person to start the spark. Can I tell you this? What, what research tells us God had already said? He had already called it. That's what love does. Those are the characteristics of love. So stop and do a personal inventory right now. Let's just stop and just look inward and do a personal inventory. How, how kind are you to your spouse? Well, preacher, she was kind to me or he was kind to me. That's not the question. The question is how kind are you to your spouse? How, how patient are you? How protective are you? How trusting are you? How forward-looking are you? What kind of stickability do you have display in your marriage? Can I tell you, kindness and patience and protection and trust and, and looking forward and stickability, all of that spells L-O-V-E, love. That's what love does. Number, number three, let me show you what love doesn't do. So after stating what love looks like, he says, here's what love does not look like. I'll, I'll hit them quickly. There's more, but I'll, I'll, hit, I'll hit them faster. He said, number one, love, verse number four, does not envy, is not jealous. Love boasts in another's success. Verse number four, he said, love is not boastful. Uh, the word in the Greek, really, if you look the word up in a, in a Greek Bible, here's what it means. It means is not jealous, or I, this is my favorite definition, is not a windbag. I don't really know what a windbag is, but you know what a windbag is, like, right? You got it? He's just not boasting, prideful all the time, not a, not a braggart. Number, number four, he says, love is not arrogant. That means to inflate a blow. It's talking about pride. Love does not walk around with an arrogant attitude in a relationship. Not only that, he says, love is not rude. Love does not behave itself impolitely or discourteously or even crudely. Boy, I love this one. Verse number five is not self-seeking. You know what self-seeking is? That's people who always want their own way. They are selfish, self-centered, wanting what they think is best for them. That is the opposite of love. Agapeo love, which is what Paul is talking about, looks out for the needs and interests of others. It willingly gives up its own for the sake of another. Love is not selfish. Verse number five, love is not irritable. You know what irritable means? It means people get on your nerves easily. And that's one thing for people to get on your nerves. It's another thing when you're married to the person who gets on your nerves. It doesn't. That's not the way love operates. Verse number five, love, hey, listen, keeps no record of wrongs. Some people remember every offensive against them as, as though it was written in a book and tallied. You know what one husband said? He said, my wife doesn't get hysterical. She gets historical every time we get in a fight. Those who keep records of wrongs and personal injuries will harbor resentment against another. And love, however, makes allowances for people's failures and falls. And willingly forgets when wrongs are done. Willingly forgets when wrongs are done. 
Verse number six, love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth, meaning love does not take pleasure in the misfortune of others. And finally, he sums it up this way. I love it. In verse number eight, love never ends. What does love not do? Love never ends. It is permanent and it never fails. And where the verb commonly means to fall, it comes to mean sometimes collapse or suffer ruin. And here's what Paul was saying. Love will never suffer such a fate. Love is known by, as much by what it doesn't do as it is by what it does do. If you do those things you are not supposed to do, you will eventually wear your marriage. Because I'll be honest, when, when you look through that list, for a lot of us, we can see where we go wrong. And one of those things is not going to destroy your marriage tomorrow. One of those things is not going to wreck your marriage tomorrow. One of those things is not going to make you a miserable marriage tomorrow. But those things over and over and over and over and over again in your marriage will eventually be the little things that kill your marriage. I bet most of you don't even remember this. Uh, it, the photos aren't great, but, but you'll understand what they are. Back in 1995, a pair of woodpeckers, northern flickers were called, decided to build a nest on the fuel tanks of the uh, space shuttle as it stood upright at Cape Canaveral. As a matter of fact, they were about to launch the space shuttle just a little while away from it, and they noticed on this coating that's on the fuselage that protects it from heat and protects it from blowing up that these two woodpeckers, when they eventually discovered, got in on that, uh, on that foam and they tried to drill through it like a tree and they drilled through the foam and hit steel. And so they think, well, I need to go to a softer part of the tree. So they'd fly around and, and keep pecking on it. And they were trying to build a nest. And what eventually happened was they covered the entire fuselage with holes anywhere from a half inch to four inches big. And they literally packed the space shuttle to death. 71 round holes, some as big as four inches deep. And it destroyed the integrity of that covering. And they had to ground the space shuttle till they could get it fixed. Now, here's the part. This has nothing to do with marriage, but hang on. NASA put together a committee to investigate what was going on and how to fix it. And they called it the Bird Investigation Review and Deterrent. Hang on. Bird Investigation Review and Deterrent. You may or may not have figured out the acronym was B-I-R-D. And so they, decided, they figured out it was protected species and they couldn't kill them, so they did other things. But anyway... The, the woodpeckers had literally pecked the space shuttle to death. Pecked the space shuttle to death. It's the only time in history the space shuttle was pecked to death. But can I tell you this? It happens to marriages all the time. You do all the little things you're not supposed to do, and you'll peck your marriage to death. It's checkup time. How much pride are you displaying in your marriage? How rude are you in your marriage? How self-centered and self-serving? How irritable? Are you keeping records of wrongs? Have you given up? Hey, you'll, you'll peck your marriage to death, and love does not do that. Number four, and I'm finished. Number four, it's not do you love, but will you love? Throughout this whole passage, we didn't see love as an emotion. 
We saw love as a series of actions that will lead to love as an emotion. I'm not asking you this morning if you love your spouse as if you have no control over it. You do have control over loving your spouse. I'm not asking you, do you love your husband? Do you love your wife? That is not the question. The question is, will you love your husband? Will you love your wife? Can I tell you this? It's never, I don't, but it's always, I won't. It's never I don't, it's always I won't. Because if you will, it is your choice. Start with 1 Corinthians 13. You have to let go of your pride, your hurt, your feelings, but you can love. It's not do you love, it's will you love. Let me give you five quick marriage minute tips and I'm done. Number one is this. If you're going to love your spouse the way 1 Corinthians 13 says, number one, you have to know God. You cannot do this without God in your life. And I'm going to tell you how to do that in just a moment, but if you're watching and you're here and maybe you're not a Christian or maybe neither one of you are Christians, I'm just telling you, this is not impossible without God in your life. And if you are a Christian, number two, you need to know this. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God You need to have the power of Christ living through you because these attributes of love that we talked about exist and don't exist. They do not come because you read a book or worked it up. They come because God's working through your life. Number three, read and live 1 Corinthians 13 daily. Some of us need to spend every day for a long time in 1 Corinthians 13 and just let the Spirit of God work that into our heart and life and actions. Number four, you may need to seek forgiveness from your spouse and from God. Some of you look at those lists of do's and don'ts and you realize, hey, I need to ask my husband, my wife to forgive me. I need to ask God to forgive me. And then number five, start right here. Choose to dwell on the good. Choose to dwell on the good. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm going to tell you it's as easy as A, B, C. Hang with me. A, You've got to admit that you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself. The Bible says we've all seen and fallen short of the glory of God. Here's what that means. I've done wrong. You've done wrong. We've all done wrong. We're all in the same boat. And that means because we've done wrong, we can't earn our way to heaven. We can't work our way to heaven. We can't be good enough, give enough, do enough to get to heaven. You have to admit that. B, you have to believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. That's the, we call that the gospel story. And C, And by the way, if you struggle with that, I encourage you to read the book of John in the New Testament, fourth gospel. So you've got to believe Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day. And see, you've got to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I'm going to ask you right where you are in the audience, uh, just to bow your heads and and, uh, it could be that you don't know Christ as Savior. Before you bow your heads, look up here. Some of you maybe have seen this story before, and I want to close with this. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was um, in a Nazi prison camp and died young, he wrote a funeral, he wrote a wedding, rather, for his niece that he never got to preach before he died. And he wrote this to her in the wedding. It survives the wedding ceremony. He said, today you're young and very much in love, and you think that your love will sustain your marriage. It won't, but your marriage can sustain your love. Your marriage 
can sustain your love. It starts with knowing God, and it starts with being obedient to 1 Corinthians 13. So would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, you're listening in wherever you may be and you don't know Christ as Savior, you can pray with me just now. Pray, pray a prayer like this. It doesn't have to be this prayer. It doesn't have to be this prayer, but something like this. The intent of your heart is put your faith in Jesus Christ. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm not a Christian and I'm a sinner. And I believe that Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. And so just now, I call out to God. I invite Jesus Christ into my life to forgive me of my sins and to give me a home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone to save me. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer and you meant that with all of your heart, I'm gonna ask you to do this. We're gonna have a video, don't leave us early. Uh, we're gonna do a little bit of a song here in just a moment and then we've got a video I want you to watch but we'll say to get on the video but if you trusted Jesus as your savior today, just simply text the word I did, no spaces, I did to 97,000 and we'll send you, we'll ask you some follow-up questions and send you some material in the mail that'll help you know about the decision you made today. Now, bow your heads with me again. There are husbands and wives watching this. There are, as couples, sometimes not even together. But the power of love is what you need in your marriage this morning. So if you're close enough and you feel comfortable enough doing that, maybe you just want to grab the hand of your family, your husband, your wife. Let me say a prayer. Father, thank you for the people watching today. I know there are husbands and wives all around Peavine City and really all around America probably watching today. We had people from so many states and other nations last week and probably again today. And Lord, our prayer is that you'd heal their marriages. That Lord, you'd help them not, not answer the question, do I love, but will I love? The choice is theirs. They can do it today. And I pray that you'd heal that relationship, begin that process of healing. And I pray that they would today choose to love their spouse. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.